Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Um, honest question, do you think we'd be talking as much about the filibuster if it didn't have such a cool name? <laughs> um, I do, only because it has been a bane in the majority's side, or a thorn in their side, a bane of their existence <laughs> for, like, decades now. So I think it's always a hot topic. Fair enough. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Playbook's Rachel Bade on the... Filibuster! The filibuster. Why the Senate can't live with it, and why they apparently can't live without it. So the filibuster is basically a tool to try to protect the rights of the minority in the Senate. Uh Uh-huh. Basically, what it does is it requires that 60 senators in that chamber agree to move to consider legislation. So oftentimes in the Senate, you know, the chamber is split 50-some Democrats, 40-some Republicans, or vice versa. But basically, the filibuster requires that the majority get some sort of input from the other side. Um, And so the, the thought about it, the thought behind it, was to ensure that the Senate could sort of operate in a very different political reality than the House. Mm. Uh, In the House, it's, you know, majority rule. Um, All you need is a majority to pass anything. But senators like to sort of think of themselves as going beyond the, you know, the heat of the moment or the passions of the moment. And to do that, you know, they sort of put this rule in place so that they would have to work with the other side and try to come up with an agreement that would be long-lasting and would have sort of a a more of a long-term impact by negotiating with the other side. But at this moment, there is a lot of passion within the Senate, particularly from Democrats, against the filibuster. Today's filibuster is often used to prevent the Senate from even starting to debate important ideas. It's not the guarantor of democracy. It has become the death grip of democracy. It's a hot topic, to say the least, especially after just yesterday, a sweeping Democratic voting rights bill was shot down in the Senate. This is one of those bills that Democrats have pointed to as an example of what could potentially be passed if the filibuster didn't exist. And because of that, I want to talk about the arguments for and against the existence of the filibuster. First off, why get rid of it? Well, I think whenever you have a new party in power that controls, you know, all the levers of Washington, the party in power is always asking this question. I mean, I remember covering Republicans when Trump just came to the White House and they controlled, you know, both chambers and Congress. There was a lot of pressure on Mitch McConnell to do the same thing. The clock is ticking toward the Senate summer recess and President Trump does not want to go home empty handed. Yesterday, he tweeted, quote, the U.S. Senate should switch to 51 votes immediately and get health care and tax cuts approved. Fast and easy. Dems would do it, no doubt. Uh, And the desire to do that is because the party in power wants to pass their legislative priorities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's hard to do that when the other side disagrees with what your legislative priorities are in the Senate. So naturally, the filibuster has been an issue for any party in power that wants to get something done, it's obviously a check on them and sort of complicates that, I guess you would say. 
You talked a little bit earlier about this idea of the Senate sort of being above the partisan fray. But when it comes down to it at this moment, you know, when there is a big Democratic chorus calling for the end of the filibuster, what's the argument for keeping it? The best argument for keeping the filibuster is to give some sort of predictability uh, to American life, you know, around the country. Basically, without the filibuster, there's a fear that, you know, one party in power will create a whole bunch of laws or pass a whole bunch of laws that are then imposed on, you know, American voters. And then a couple years later, when another party (laughs) comes to power, those laws could totally disappear. Um, And so... The idea of protecting a filibuster is to sort of ensure this predictability. I think a good example of this is with abortion rights, for instance. Democrats will often talk about abortion rights if they're arguing to protect the filibuster. Think about it. Without the filibuster, Republicans were in power just a few years ago. A lot of them wanted to pass a bunch of these, you know, quote unquote, pro-life bills. The Senate failed to pass two pro-life bills this week. The bills were the pain-capable Unborn Child Protection Act and the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. And they both failed to reach the necessary 60 votes to overcome a Democratic filibuster. The filibuster is what sort of protected the Democratic Party or helped them stop those bills. And so, you know, there are certain laws that won't pass because, you know, they're super partisan and they will never clear the Senate. And so I guess, you know, people who are supporting the filibuster sort of see it as that protection from super partisan bills being passed one year, then being retroactively, you know, gotten rid of a couple of years later. And that creates a bunch of confusion, uh, these people would say. Hmm. Regardless of that, there are a number of Democrats calling for getting rid of it, you know, saying that if you have the filibuster in place, you're not going to be able to pass some of these big things like voting rights. Um, You're not going to be able to implement Joe Biden's Democratic agenda. What would need to actually happen to get rid of it? Like you mentioned under Trump, there was talk of, you know, McConnell potentially getting rid of it. Like, what would it take for that to actually happen? And why hasn't it happened in the past? So it would take a majority of the Senate to do that. You know, 50 for, you know, this particular Congress, it would take all Senate Democrats, all 50 of them, saying they wanted to do it. And then, you know, Kamala Harris would be able to come in and break the tie. So you can't filibuster a vote to get rid of the filibuster? You, you can't. Uh, very good one there, uh, Jeremy. Um, no, they, you can't filibuster a rules vote. Hmm. So it's it's a li- slightly different. Um, the reason it hasn't happened is because there's never been 50 senators from either party that have been w- willing to do this. Um, you know, I was reading, there's a good piece in the Washington Post a couple of days ago that said it was like more than 40 Senate Democrats who are arguing right now about getting rid of the filibuster had at one point thrown up very, uh, you know, intricate defenses of the filibuster when Republicans were in power. So, huh. you know, um, it's just really interesting to see, you know, depending on who is in charge, uh, you know, who is making which arguments uh, and to see them sort of contradicted. Yeah, this argument about it all sort of feels never ending. Um, You've been covering Congress for a while. Is it worth the debate? Like, are people sort of making a mountain out of a a molehill here? Like, does this really matter at the end of the day? I do think it matters because in recent years, we actually saw both parties 
get rid of the filibuster for judicial nominations. Mm. Um, the minority used to be able to use the filibusters to sort of block nominations from the judicial bench that they did not like. Um, and then a few years ago, you know, there were Republicans blocking a whole bunch of Obama judges. And so Harry Reid, who was a majority leader at the time, actually, you know, moved to get rid of the filibuster for lower level court nominations. The rule change will make cloture for all nominations other than the Supreme Court a majority threshold vote, yes or no. The Senate is a living thing, and to survive it must change, as it has over the history of this great country. And then a couple of years later, Mitch McConnell followed up on that, and he said, okay, we're not going to just do this for lower-level court nominations. We're going to do it for the Supreme Court, too. We need to restore the norms and traditions of the Senate and get past this unprecedented partisan filibuster. Therefore, I raise a point of order that the vote on cloture under the precedent set on November 21st, 2013, is a majority vote on all nominations. And so the filibuster over time has changed. And so I don't think it's an irrelevant question. It really depends on the politics of the moment and, you know, how frustrated senators are feeling about their ability to do things or not do things uh, in the upper chamber. And so in that regard, you know, what we saw this week with, you know, Republicans blocking this voting rights bill. This is one bill. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that Democrats really want to pass and that are going to be filibustered in the Senate. And so I do think at the beginning of the year, when people were talking about this whole bunch, it was a legitimate question of like, where is the Senate going to come down? Are Democrats going to be, you know, so desperate to pass their legislation that they're going to say, you know, screw the rules, we're going to change them. Um, and I do think a lot of the members are there right now. But again, not that 50 needed. Joe Manchin still opposes getting rid of the filibuster. Kirsten Cinema still opposes it. And until, you know, they change those members' minds, it's not going to change anytime soon. Rachel Bade, thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me on. Rachel Bade is a co-author of Politico Playbook. Be sure to sign up at politico.com slash newsletters to follow more of her reporting. Also today, Senator Elizabeth Warren is blocking a swift confirmation for President Biden's pick to be the number three official at the Education Department. A source familiar with the process confirmed to Politico that Warren has placed a hold on the nomination of James Qual to be the Undersecretary of Education, marking the latest escalation of pressure on the Biden administration from progressives who want to see more aggressive and quicker action on student loan debt. Warren and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer have been publicly lobbying Biden for months to use executive action to wipe out $50,000 of student loan debt per borrower, that the source says Warren's hold on Qual is about concessions she wants on how the education department runs the student loan program, not over the debt cancellation proposal. And President Biden is planning to nominate Celeste Wallander, a former National Security Council and Pentagon official with an extensive background in Russia, to be the Pentagon's international security chief. Wallander is currently the president and CEO of the U.S.-Russia Foundation, a nonprofit aimed at strengthening ties between the two countries and promoting private sector development in Russia. She was also a senior director for Russia and Central Asia on the NSC staff during the Obama administration. 
Wallander's nomination comes as the White House tangles with Moscow on a variety of issues, like a series of high-profile hacks and a recent Russian military buildup along Ukraine's eastern border. Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Playbook Deep Dive and Politico Energy. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.